Now, I'd like to begin today with uh, a story, a true story, of a 21-year-old Utah State University student named Brandon Wright. Now, Brandon Wright, way back in 2011, was riding his motorcycle without a helmet, no less, because, well, in the good old U.S. of A., you're allowed to ride your motorbike with no helmet. And so he's driving along at high speeds with no helmet when he collides with a BMW near his campus. Now, in the collision, the motorcycle burst into flames, and though the driver of the BMW was able to escape from the car unharmed, Brandon was trapped underneath the 4,000-pound BMW right next to the flaming wreckage of his motorcycle. Now, I want you to watch this news video clip that actually captured the following events, and I want you to watch this and see what happens next. I just, just wanted to thank all the heroes that put their lives on the line to save mine. I'm forever in debt. I can't think it just, you know, says that, you know, good people come from everywhere. Um, like I said, I'm just really grateful for them, for them being there at the right time. I mean, how crazy is it that those... Three people from three different countries were, were there for me when I needed them. I was going. Now, isn't that an incredible, just incredible thing to watch? All of these people, strangers to each other, see someone in need, and, and they disregard their own risk, their own risk to themselves. There's a, this thing's on fire and they all come together to push this car off of this trap man, to pull him out, and undoubtedly save his life. And I think what's so inspiring about this is it shows the incredible power of together. That any one of those people could not have gone and pushed that car off. Any one of those people could not have gone and, and single-handedly saved that man's life. But together... Setting aside whatever differences they had, whatever the dangers were, they said, we are going to band together, combine our strength, and save this man's life. And indeed, chapter 2. And as we look once more at Acts chapter 2, Reuben did an excellent job reading it for us, so we're not going to read the whole thing again. However, 
I want to read for you a selection of verses from the beginning and the end of the narrative in Acts chapter 2. So if you take your Bibles, follow along with me, and as we do, I want to highlight for you one word as we go through these passages, and that one word is together. Together. So if you like marking your Bible or highlighting things, I encourage you, underline that word together as we go through these verses. Now beginning in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, this sets the scene. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Okay, that sets the scene. They are not separate, they are together. Now we jump ahead to verse 42, the closing summation of what has happened. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And fellowship is, of course, the result of being together. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, are you beginning to catch the theme here of what's happening on Pentecost? This isn't something about one person or even a collection, loose collection of individuals. The theme here is together. They begin together, and then the Spirit is poured out, and they continue in all aspects of life together as one family. And so, our first point from this text this morning that I'd like to draw out for you is this. Pentecost demonstrates that God's design is for the church to be together. It demonstrates that God's design for the church is to be together. We see in Acts chapter 2 from beginning to end that for the disciples and that first church being together was not the exception, but it was the norm. They begin together, and then they continue on together, even intertwining their lives more than they had been previously. It's directly stated four times, and the emphasis throughout is on constant fellowship with one another, fellowship around God's word, fellowship breaking bread together, and then fellowship sharing generously with each other so that no one would go without. Now, I don't think I need to tell any of you gathered here today or those of you outside or or still participating from home that these past two and a half months of having to be physically separated from each other to be to be physically isolated from one another that it's been hard and we have been missing each other and we have been missing all of the blessings of christian fellowship of being together and all i know is that i have been missing you guys like crazy and uh, this is something that, that it just weighs on us, that we are craving fellowship and to be together once again. And I want you to see clearly that being together as the church is not man's idea. It is, in fact, by God's design. For from the very birth of the church on Pentecost Sunday, God did not choose to empower his followers with the Holy Spirit as some loose collection of individuals, But rather, God deliberately and strategically chose to empower his followers when they were all together in one place, undoubtedly in prayer, 
seeking him because remember Jesus had promised them the gift of the Holy Spirit and so they were together waiting anticipating not quite sure what this was going to look like but then God chose to empower them together giving them all one spirit forging them into one unit one team one body one family and yes one church so by God's design and the power of the Holy Spirit Out of the many, he formed one. Thus, there is tremendous power in together. And now just look at the results of what happened from that day. Verse 41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 one day, not a bad start, right? Like, hey, we're, we're, we're getting somewhere, right? Like, yeah, I'd take three, but, you know, 3,000? Hey, Peter's feeling pretty good about that first sermon he preached, right? They're just, line them up for assembly line baptisms right now. We're going places. And they were, because it didn't stop there either. Verse 47 concludes the narrative by stating, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it starts with a bang, 3,000 people, But it didn't stop there. Daily, the Lord keeps adding to their number those who are being saved and joining this new community, this new family of faith. And then it didn't stop there either. For now, now, filled, empowered, directed by the Holy Spirit, they continued to spread the good news as they lived this new life in Christ. And we know the story through the the narrative in the book of Acts that the mighty Roman Empire itself, in all of its pride and all of its, its pagan idolatry, even the Roman Empire could not stop the world from seeing the incredible love of God being lived out through this new community of faith following Jesus together. And yes, there was incredible persecution and suffering for many of them along the way, and yet together, they persevered. Together they thrived to the point of where the Roman Empire itself finally yielded before the cross. And the Roman Empire held up the cross of Jesus Christ now for everyone that had once been looked at nothing but an object of shame and scorn and defeat. And so all of this was birthed on Pentecost Sunday. Something was set forth that day. And on that day, God began to reunite all of mankind, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. He began to unite them back into a right relationship to himself and to each other. And despite that often fierce opposition, that multiplication continued on through the decades, through the centuries, and indeed through the millennia, right up to today, nearly 2,000 years later, with us being together ish (laughs) but still together in spirit which is the most important thing and yes together physically as we are able and so here we are gathered on pentecost sunday 2020 in the name of jesus christ just imagine if we could go back in a time machine and tell peter that 2,000 years from now your sermon is still going to be talked about and people are going to be gathering together talking about it 2,000 years later like Just wrap your head around that, what God launched on that day that we are a part of right here in the Clarny Mennonite Church. It is simply staggering what he has done. And us being here bears witness 
That this wasn't just a cleverly fabricated story. No, this is true. And the power of God is the only one able to keep this thing called the church and the work of God advancing his kingdom, moving forward through all of the ages. And so Pentecost shows that it is by God's design that the church is to be together. Now secondly, I'd like to point out for you that Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. Now let me explain what I mean by that. As some biblical scholars have have noted, what took place on Pentecost Sunday was the reversal of what took place even longer ago at the Tower of Babel. Now if we go back there in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1, we read this. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the men moved eastward, they found a place in Shinar and settled there. In verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered. So here we see that way back then, man had one language. All people on earth had one common language. So If you went around to China, they're speaking the same language. You came around here, we're speaking the same language. Obviously, they weren't scattered yet at this point following the flood, but nonetheless, they have one language. And so at this point, united like this, with a common speech, there is nothing to stop them in their vanity and their ambition, in their own pride, that that they were going to make a name for themselves and directly defy God's decree to fill the earth. They said, we're not going to be scattered. Let's build a city so that we don't scatter. Now, they had just developed uh, brick-making abilities and technology, and so this seemed to stir their ambition for what they could achieve, and so they said, let us build this great tower up to the heavens. And so they begin to build. Now, use your imagination on what this tower looked like, but I imagine it was quite spectacular. Because in verse 6 we read that the Lord came and looked at what they were doing, and he says, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now even God is saying what they're building is, is, is quite impressive, quite spectacular, that if they have done this with one language, nothing will be impossible for them. Now, Interestingly, this speaks to the power of mankind being together, but apart from God. You see, man, when we pull together and we use our ingenuity and God-given intellect and abilities, we can do some pretty spectacular things. The people of, of that original city of Babel, the Tower of Babel, they were doing some pretty spectacular things, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were doing it apart from God to glorify themselves rather than their creator. And so, for that reason, though they were working together, God saw their hearts, that they were doing it for their own names rather than for his, and so it was wrong. He would not allow it to endure. And so the Spirit of God goes down. We know how the rest of the story goes. He breaks up the building project by confusing their ability to understand each other. He confuses their languages. And of course, it becomes referred to as the Tower of Babel or Babel. And Babel, that's the word where it comes from, means confusion. You're just babbling. It's nonsense. The foreman's trying to give instructions and everyone's going, what? Like, I can't understand a word you're saying. Can you imagine the chaos of that day as potentially tens of thousands of workers 
Previously, working as a team with one language cannot understand each other at all. And so the whole thing falls apart and everyone begins to scatter out to the furthest corners of the earth. And from there, as they go, we know the rest of world history. They separate into their language groups, into factions, into tribes, and eventually into nations. But these become uh, constantly warring and fighting with one another, discriminating, trying to prove themselves superior. My tribe's better than yours. And constantly this creates friction, animosity, a pecking order. We see subjugation as those who are deemed lesser become slaves, and we use the power of might to bring other nations and territories under our control. And on and on it goes through the centuries and through the ages of history. And we see this same pattern still at work in our world to this very day. So now I ask the question, how did Pentecost begin to reverse what happened at Babel? Well, let's compare. First, at the Tower of Babel, the people gathered together seeking their own glory. But at Pentecost, verse 1 shows that the disciples gathered together seeking the glory of God. They were not there for themselves, they were there for him. Secondly, at the Tower of Babel, God confused their language. He confused their language. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, when he was given, he united their languages So that, in fact, everyone who was listening that day, coming from many different languages, could hear the disciples speaking in their own native language. And they said, how can this be? It's the reversal. That day at Babel, everyone was in in confusion. Why can't I understand you? And suddenly it's the reverse. Pentecost happens, and everyone's there going, these are just Galileans. They're not speaking my language, but I hear it in my heart tongue. How can this be? God is reversing the curse And he is bringing union from the fractured nations. And this all begins at Pentecost. And so here we see at the Tower of Babel, one united people were scattered and fractured. But at Pentecost, God took the many fractured nations and he began uniting them back together as one people into one family of faith. As Pastor Rodney Buchanan said, Babel was the imposition of human will. Pentecost was the acceptance of God's divine will. After Babel, the people spread out over the earth in mutual hostility and alienation. It was every person for themselves. After Pentecost, the people spread through the inhabited world to serve God and to live in love and fellowship. Pentecost is Babel reversed and undone. This leads us now to our third point. Pentecost demonstrates for us that there is room for everyone in God's family. Acts chapter 2 verses 7 to 11 says this. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Whew, that's a mouthful. Right? Now if we were to dissect geographically all of those names I just rattled off, It's a long list because it's covering vast geographical regions. In fact, the point that the author Luke is making here is that this is the known world of their day. 
Scholars have pointed out that these regions are literally coming from every part of the known world in the Roman Empire. And this, and this, is, this is huge. So this list is telling us that from nearly every ethnic group in the known world of the first century is represented that day saying, we can hear in our own native language, and this is the beginning of the family of God. Even Peter, who's preaching that day, he's still not even quite sure if this is for the Gentiles, but he's declaring it nonetheless to everyone who's there to hear. He's not even sure, because remember, the Jews were so Israel-centric that they didn't even think Gentiles could be saved at all. But here, right out of the gate, we have representatives from the entire known world hearing the message and saying, how can this be? I'm hearing my own language. Later, we know that many of them turned in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John writes this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is a picture of God's throne. That one day there will be people from every nation, tribe, people, and language there. I love that word, every, because it's not just some, but people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language will be standing around God's throne praising him for all of eternity. And so now as beautiful as that picture is, when we're looking up at heaven, what John saw, this revelation, it fills our hearts with wonder, with joy. But then we look back down to our earth. And we look around at what's happening in our world right now. And we turn on the news. And we wonder, is this really possible? Can this really be? As I said in an earlier prayer, just look at what's happening in our neighbors to the south right now a city I've been to many times, Minneapolis. How could, how could this be happening? And, and we consider these terrible events of this past week and are still happening. You know, you just pull up your news app and last night there were riots in dozens of cities across the United States. And I wonder, how are you going to pull this off, Lord? Look at how fractured our world is. Look at how divided we are. One act of senseless violence leads to many more acts of senseless violence, which multiply to more and more acts of senseless violence. And what is this getting us? What are we improving? And we see all it's doing is it's further dividing people into warring factions. It's often divided up along ethnic lines or socioeconomic lines, and it cultivates this us-versus-them mentality. And rather than improving things, the world's approach of defining people by their differences only continues to drive our divisions deeper and deeper and deeper. For by the world's standards, people are identified primarily by their ethnicity, by their nationality, by their gender, by their sexuality, by their age group, by their education, by their economic standing, by their religion, or by their politics. And so once we find out where you fit into any one of those, those categories, then we get to slap the label on you and say, well, you're one of them, so you go over there. Right? That's, that's how our world operates. We label everything, and then we divide, and then we war, and we fight. 
But now flying in the face of all of that, we come back to Pentecost. And what was it on Pentecost Sunday that took such a diverse group of people? Because I want you to, I want you to get this. All those names I rattled off, these aren't people who get along. <laughs> these aren't people who historically like each other. No, these are, these are many people groups who have been at war with each other for generations. There's Romans in there. Remember, the Romans are the ones who have then taken all of these people and put them under their boot heel. They've, they've subjugated them at the edge of the sword. These are not people who like one another. They have all sorts of reasons to be divided and to live in hatred towards each other. But something happened on Pentecost that united them in a single day. What was it? Well, the answer is, they stopped looking at each other and started looking at Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 38, following Peter's powerful sermon, we read this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to take note that Peter says, every one of you. All of those nationalities were included in this statement. Every one of you. And that means that this one answer applies to everyone equally. So whatever your ethnicity Whatever your nationality, whatever your gender, whatever your economic status, education, sexuality, or politics, the answer for your problem is the same. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. And you see, it is only when people come to realize their own sinfulness. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their own sinfulness and they stopped looking at each other and started looking within to realize, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. What should I do? And Peter gives them the answer, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the answer. For you see, it is only once we stop looking at each other and start looking at Jesus Christ that true community, true unity can be birthed. For you see, the ground is always, always level at the foot of the cross. It's level. And not one of the world's labels matter at the foot of the cross. For the only label that matters is the one which God declares, and that is, without him... We are all lost sinners in need of a Savior. Who of us can say from wealth or status or position or birthright that I am better than anyone else when at the end of the day, there's only one thing that matters. Either I am with Jesus or I'm not with Jesus. Either I am a sinner who stands condemned or I'm a child of God who has received forgiveness and a promise of eternal life with God in heaven. That's what it all boils down to. And so when we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, by the amazing grace of God, we do receive that forgiveness of sins. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then we receive the one and only label that matters at all, 
And that is a child of God. That's the only one that matters. As the Apostle Paul says, Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there is now neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. What a radical statement. For it declares that as a child of God, all of the world's old identifiers no longer matter. We are all one in Jesus Christ. No matter what part of the world we come from, no matter what our background, our heritage, anything, none of that matters anymore if through faith in Christ we have been united in him. And so now we identify each other not by what divides us, but by our one Lord who unites us. And in Christ there is an open invitation to the nations and a welcome for anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith. So have you responded to his invitation? Have you received that gift? I pray that you have. But if you haven't, that door is still wide open right now that you can receive him today. My friends, Jesus and Jesus alone is the only answer for our fractured and hate-filled world. Yes, the, the, all of the details and the, and the scenarios are complex, but when you boil it all down, it comes to the one thing, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Only Jesus can unite our world as we submit ourselves to him. For only he can take the many factions and combine them together into one family. And that powerful work began way back on Pentecost, but it continues onward. And we are an extension of that right up to the Clarny Mennonite Church gathered together today in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know, we're just a small preview community of the future culmination in heaven that John saw when every tongue, tribe, and nation will be gathered. And we're just a small glimpse of what is coming. And so now finally, Pentecost shows the church its mission. It gives us our marching orders. That first church birthed on Pentecost Sunday demonstrates that by simply being together and then living out their new life in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, then God used their combined witness to powerfully impact others and lead many more to salvation. It's the exact same for us. The design has not changed. The mission has not changed. We are called to live out this mission right here in Clarny, Manitoba, and outward to the ends of the earth. I've shared once before the true story of the American missionary named John Allen Chow. And John Allen Chow had a burden to reach the remote hunter-gatherer tribe of the Sentinelese people with the good news of the gospel. Now this small tribe of the Sentinelese they're believed to only number around 150 people, and they're located on North Sentinel Island in the Bay of Bengal near India. The few photos of them that exist show them all but naked, a primitive tribe carrying spears and bows and arrows. The tribe is hostile to outsiders, having reportedly killed two fishermen whose boat drifted onto their island back in 2006. The Indian government has banned foreigners from approaching within five kilometers of the island. However, Indian authorities say that John Chow paid local fishermen to take him nearby the island so that he could paddle the rest of the way by kayak himself. 
Now, John had tried reaching them the day before, and so he had paddled his kayak towards the island, carrying fish and a football as gifts. But as he approached, the tribesmen fired arrows at him, one of them piercing his Bible. And so he turned around and went back to the fisherman's boat where he spent the night writing about his experiences and praying before once again in the morning getting back in his kayak and returning to the island. The fisherman who watched him go said he never came back. According to them, he was attacked by arrows, but he continued walking forward onto the shore. He was calling out to them, My name is John. I love you, and Jesus loves you. Then he went down under a hail of arrows. The fishermen then saw the tribesmen tying a rope around his neck and dragging his body up the beach. A statement by John's family said, quote, Words cannot express the sadness we have experienced about this report. He was a beloved son, brother, uncle, and best friend to us. To others, he was a missionary. He loved God, life, helping those in need, and had nothing but love for the Sentinelese people. We forgive those reportedly responsible for his death. In a letter to his parents, John had written, You guys might think I'm crazy in all of this, but I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping him in their own language. Now, whatever anyone wants to say about him taking such a risk or saying he was a fool for doing it, what's abundantly clear in his testimony and in his actions is that John Chow clearly understood the urgency of bringing the good news of Jesus to the Sentinelese people regardless of the risks to himself. Why? Why was he so convinced that it was worth taking that risk? Because he wanted to see them around the throne of God in heaven. And you know what? I am praying that someday, because of his sacrifice, John will be able to welcome many of the Sentinelese people into heaven. So what about us? What about us? What risks are we willing to take to bring the good news of Jesus to people who have not yet heard? Thankfully, most of us don't have to face a barrage of arrows to bring people the good news of Jesus. Right here in our town of Killarney and across our nation, we have incredible freedom to boldly declare the gospel. But the need and the urgency is the same. Everyone needs Jesus. The Sentinelese people need Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. He is the one and only answer for each of us and for our fractured world. So I pray that today we embrace the message of Pentecost and most importantly, go out in the power of Pentecost. That it demonstrates God's design for the church, for us to be together, united. That it demonstrates the reversal of the curse of Babel. That it demonstrates that there is room for everyone in God's family and that it shows us our mission and that we go out with its marching orders. That we have a message to bring to the nations by the power of God, and he will do it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this incredible work of Pentecost that you began nearly 2,000 years ago, and we are here today again on Pentecost as living proof that this work marches forward. And so, Lord, yes, our world is fractured, but you are the hope of the nations because in you we are united into one family. 
and that one day soon, it will all be finished and will be united in your kingdom forever, where there will be no more factions, no more war, no more hatred, no more death. Only peace and love and righteousness will prevail forever. We long for that day, and Lord, may we set ourselves towards that day, willing to take risks to bring the good news to those who have not yet heard. Bless us as we go forward with this mission in our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.